Amen and good morning. Welcome to the Story Houston. Worshiping online today for, I don't know, the 477th straight week in a row. <laughs> it's not been that long, but it's been a long journey so far. And uh, still, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're hanging in there. I miss your faces and your handshakes and hugs. And, and uh, I speak for the rest of the Story staff and uh, volunteers that are here this morning making this online worship service possible. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us in this way. We've got a lot of important ground to cover today. We've got one sermon series ending. We've got another one starting uh, in a couple of weeks, and there's some important stuff I want to talk about specific to this season in just a moment. We're going to cover some really, I think, compelling ground today as I share with you my own like 10 commandments for living as a Christian during the season of COVID-19, okay? So we'll get to that in just a second. First of all, I do wanna welcome anybody who's watching um, online for the first time today. If you've um, been hearing about the story or a friend invited you, or you just happen to stumble upon the story online, Thank you for taking the time out of your weekend, your Sunday morning to be here with us. It really means the world to us. Even if you aren't sure what to think about church or Christians or preachers or the Bible, your questions and doubts are always welcome here at the story. And so as long as we're online, I hope you'll keep coming back. And when we are allowed to gather in person again, and that's possible um, to do worship live, I hope you'll come see us in person. We'll do a nice little air high five or something until we're allowed to be touchy-feely again and hug and, and, and handshake and all that. So I'm so glad you're here. If you don't know me, my name is Eric Huffman. I'm the lead pastor here at The Story. And you know, this season has been very emotional, very taxing, and there's been a lot of things that frankly have taken me to the edge, right, of, of tears. And I've, I've been touched by a lot of different things. And at the top of that list is watching you all continue to support the church that you love financially, even during a, a financially insecure moment. And watching those gifts come in and, and seeing the notes that come in beside them, I, I'm just blown away and I'm moved to tears and I just wanna say thank you. And uh, if you wanna continue supporting the story's mission and ministry today, we try to make it as easy as we can. We can't pass the basket around anymore for obvious reasons, but we have this online portal at thestory.church slash donate. You can visit that today to make another gift or to make your first one. The, the size of that gift really is not important. It's the heart behind it that really touches my heart. And so I, I just wanna thank you in advance for any generosity that, that you afford this church today. All right, so we're going to dig in today, and, and I'm just going to warn you, you don't have any study guides. I didn't put any out even online this week. This is just, if you want to take notes, grab a notebook, grab a pen, grab your phone, whatever it takes, and follow along with me, because we've got a sermon series that's behind us now, um, the Afterlife series that we spent seven weeks on, talking about heaven and hell and things, and that was fascinating, but now it's time to move on, and um, I, I want to spend a week just one Sunday, talking specifically about what it means to live faithfully at a time like this. If we're trying to follow Jesus, and that's our mission, right? To follow him and to inspire as many other people to follow him as we can. Like, if that's the goal, then what does it look like to be Christians in the age of COVID-19? Uh, I'm not really sure that most of us are grasping the magnitude of the disruption being caused by COVID-19. I don't think most of us are grasping it yet in terms of deaths and, and infection rates and jobs lost, businesses closed, 
you know, um, relationships that are really challenged by all of this. I don't really know all of the, the, the scope of the socioeconomic and emotional damage being done. I can't tell from my vantage point what's going on behind closed doors. Whenever we gather in person, I can usually pick up on body language and different kinds of cues and go, I better check in on this person. That's harder to do when all you've got is Instagram because Instagram doesn't tell the whole story. We know that. And so if it doesn't, what's really going on with us? What's going on in this season behind closed doors? What's, what's happening with marriages? How are our marriages doing? How are our kids doing? How are parents doing with this season, really? And not just online and social media, but really, how are we doing? You know, how bad are addictions becoming? You know, um, uh, what about people that brought depression or anxiety or fear into this season with them? What's that looking like now? We just don't know how bad it is. Only time will tell the long-term effects of this season of, of um, sheltering in place and watching these headlines pour in. So that might be the most depressing opening paragraph of a sermon you've ever heard in your entire life. And I promise you, if this is your first sermon uh, hearing me preach, I'm not always this uh, bleak and I'm not here to depress you. I promise I'm here to encourage you and just to prove how passionate I am about not depressing you. I'm going to tell you my favorite COVID-19 dad joke right now. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Dads, take note. Okay. Uh, why do ants never get the virus? Because they've got them cute little antibodies. Yeah, that's about what I thought. too. <laughs> no laughter in the room whatsoever. And the staff, no one laughed. Uh, and you probably didn't either. That's the point of dad jokes. You're laughing at me and not with me, right? I promise I'm here not to depress you, but to encourage you because I believe that a moment like this, as disrupted as it is, Every disruption brings along with it some, some real possibilities, some real possibilities for change, for a revolution of the things that we've known before. And I want us as Christians to recognize the possibilities before us, the opportunities to make inroads into our circles of friends, into our family members, our social media following in Jesus' name and for his sake. If we're living for Jesus first, then our first question should be, how are we living for him? How are we drawing people to him? Because as far as Jesus is concerned, there's no real halfway to do that. And when we've been comfortable, when we've not had anything to worry about, you know, for the most part, we've been able to get away with halfway Christianity. And those days are long gone. And I think as far as Christians go, the question before us is, what will church look like after this storm? How will our expression of our faith be different when this storm is over versus when it began? I know the church is going to look different. I know that one of two things is going to happen with Christians. We're either going to cling to the past and die, or we're going to embrace this present moment for what it is and thrive. And clinging to the past can mean a number of things. It can mean just longing to get back to in-person worship because that's the only way you know how to worship, right? Or, or getting back to the way things used to be or have always been. That's one way to cling to the past. It's not the only way. In fact, I think the more harmful way of clinging to the past as Christians is to cling to the old Christian ways of being in this culture. 
the old Christian posture, the old Christian language, the, the kinds of um, ways of speaking and being and acting and responding to culture that used to make sense whenever Christianity was the norm in our culture. But as our culture has grown increasingly secular, now that old posture, those old ways, they just look sanctimonious. They look judgmental, even hypocritical. And so will we cling to the past or will we look at what God might be doing in the present moment? and embrace it. Embracing the present moment means looking at the culture around us without the lens of judgment, without being on a soapbox over it, looking at it for what it is, loving it for what it is, and then whenever possible, flexing ourselves into uncomfortable territory, unfamiliar territory, to learn about the culture around us and the people living in it and what's really going on in their minds and in their hearts for the purpose of loving them. Christians, I'm afraid, are missing this opportunity that is before us to love people where they are. And some people are gonna be very upset by some of the things I'm gonna say in the rest of this message. Christians are gonna write me emails and say, just because the culture changes doesn't mean we should change with it. And you're absolutely right. If what you mean by that is what we believe, our core beliefs, our core principles should not change with the winds of change in culture, but you're absolutely wrong if what you mean is the way we communicate what we believe to the culture around us. Listen, this season, this storm, COVID-19 has waves of young Americans, entire generations of Americans asking big questions that they've never been forced to ask before. Why am I really here? What am I really doing? Can I really trust the voices I've trusted in the past? You know, what, what does life look like if my mortality is staring me in the face? Like these big questions are being asked and I'm afraid when they look at Christians in light of those questions, they don't see us loving people, embracing the moment. Instead, I'm, I'm afraid they see something uh, maybe less becoming, something like Christians clinging to the past. <clears throat> now, the New Testament is full of these directives. I'm not making this up uh, just because I want to reach more people. The New Testament's clear that Christians are called to be sensitive, culturally sensitive. I mean, there's a reason why Christianity has exploded in every culture it's ever touched for 2,000 years. It's because Christianity at its heart has this chameleon-like quality. Jesus is able to translate to every culture. We don't sit back and wait for these cultures to change and become Christians. We make Christianity into whatever it needs to be to reach people wherever they are, culturally speaking. And this is as old as the movement itself the Apostle Paul explained his approach in one of the first letters that he wrote in the first half of the first century. Um, he, he wrote the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 22. He said, though I am free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those not having the law, these are non-Jews, Gentiles, right? I became like a Gentile. Though I am not free from God's law, I'm under Christ's law, but I did it so that I could win those who are Gentiles. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. That is the heart of a Christian. Whenever we are faced 
with the choice of making a friend versus making a point, we make that friend every time. I mean, unless by some chance there's some way we're compromising our core principles, we make that friend every time. We flex with the culture around us without compromising the truth that is within us. Romans 12, 17 and 18 says, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone, including non-religious people or people that don't believe. If it's possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you're gonna be tempted by people around you, people that you know in person or people online who say something that doesn't sound right to you. You don't agree with it. And it kind of, you get stuck in your craw a little bit. You just, you can't, you can't not deal with it. You just, you want to prove them wrong. You want to shut them up. You want to shut them down. You want to call them out. You want to be right. You're going to be faced with a choice. Will you be right or will you be Jesus? Will you be right or will you shine the light of Christ? Will you make a point or will you make a friend? The Christian way is to love them, to listen to what they're saying. Even if you don't agree with it, find out why they're saying it. If it's something awful, find out who hurt them. <laughs> find out what made them that way. Love them through it. Show them the love of Jesus. You make your point, you'll never have a chance to talk to Jesus, to talk to them about Jesus. You make a friend, you might. So uh, I've been paying attention in my own interactions with people. I've been paying attention to news media. Unfortunately, I've been paying attention to social media as well. And what I'm seeing is a lot of Christians who are not recognizing the magnitude of the opportunity before us. This crisis has so many young people considering new possibilities, new worldviews. And my concerns is that when they see us, they don't see us striving to live at peace with each other. They don't see us striving to love and do right what's right in everyone's eyes, flexing with our culture to meet people where they are. What they see us doing, unfortunately, in the media is just being paranoid and political and petty, striving to make a point and sacrificing all semblance of righteousness in doing so. So I believe this is our moment to shine the light of Jesus by embracing this present moment in this culture for what it is instead of clinging to the past. And so today, for the first time, I'm going to present to you my personal 10 commandments for COVID Christianity, 10 commandments for living as Christians in a time such as this. All right, you can make your own notes, you can follow along, okay? These, it's not as long as it sounds. Some of these are very self-explanatory. I'm just going to say them and move right along, okay? Numbers one and two. I've got five thou shalt not and five thou shalts. Here are the first two, thou shalt not watch worship, but thou shalt watch what you worship. This is uh, important because I know online worship doesn't do it for everybody. I know there's a lot of people who have just checked out of online worship altogether. It's not the same, doesn't feel the same. If I'm not in that building, pastor, with my church, it's not church to me. Okay, let's talk. <laughs> uh, we're going to be doing this for a while. Uh, this has already been decided by our leadership. We're, at least through June, going to be online only, probably longer than that. And so if you're someone who's struggling with engaging with worship online, I want to ask you a very honest question. I hope you don't take offense. But just ask yourself, why? Why exactly do you not find yourself connecting? 
And I want to suggest without being offensive that nine times out of 10, the problem isn't with God. The problem isn't with church. The problem isn't with the government keeping you out of your church. The problem nine times out of 10 is between our own two ears. Because if we're honest, we are not preparing ourselves for worship when it's online as we would prepare ourselves for worship when it's in person. We're not preparing our families to worship together. We're not being intentional about this moment. We're waiting till the last minute, throwing everything together, wondering why Facebook Live doesn't work on my TV, like all these things at the last minute and it adds stress and anxiety and it doesn't feel like worship. Why? Because we're not prepared. We have to get our heads right here. We have to treat Worship online as intentionally, if not more so, as we would if we were coming here and worshiping in person. I need you to understand that when you're there at your home, singing these songs, praying these prayers, hearing this message, so are all the other people that you used to gather in this building with. They're in their homes, singing the same songs, praying the same prayers, hearing the same message, being fed in the same way. It's still church, but we have to get our heads right. It's not something we watch. It's worship. Six months ago, Nathan, our worship director, stood up right here where I'm standing, and he taught us what worship really is. And I think we need to be reminded what worship really is. It is remembering. But remembering what? Nathan's going to tell us in just a moment. I hope you'll pay attention to what he says worship is. And the more I played at the story, the more I found that this was the space where that was the most true, rather than in venues, uh, when I was constantly trying to sell myself and, and convince people that, that I was worthy of their attention. Here, that's, it's not about me, which I find a lot of comfort in. I get up here on Sunday, and, and a lot of times when I'm worshiping, I'm, I'm just thanking God, saying, Thank you for saving me from my own plan. God totally diverted me from that path and set me on to one that I would have never wanted. And it's been so much better than I would have ever imagined. Hey, good morning. If you need a real boost of confidence in your faith, uh, you gotta track down Julie and, and have her make one of those videos for you. They really, gosh, man. Makes a lot more sense now when I see it all with the pictures. But really, thanks, Julie. Um, I'm so excited to have some time. Eric gave me some time this morning to talk about worship, uh, to talk about what I value in worship, uh, what I've learned, uh, and, and how you can specifically engage with us in worship. Um, this is exciting because I know that not everybody can engage or understands what's going on uh, when we're up here singing these songs. Maybe you're not a musician, you didn't grow up singing in church, so it's real foreign to you and you, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but I, I want to leave you with one thing that I think, even if you're not a musician, even if you're not a singer, you can, you can engage in this part of the service. Um, I would hope you could because we spent a lot of time singing. Uh, if you come consistently, and you don't really know what to do with this part of the service, then uh, we're kind of leaving a lot of time on the table, kind of wasting a lot of your time. Um, so there's a lot of things I could speak on when it comes to worship, but I'm going to just, just go with one thing 
that I have learned, that I've discovered in this last year of my life, uh, and that I'm excited to share with you all, just one thing. So the one thing is, some of you guys gotta get voice lessons. And that's the, <laughs> no, I, you know, Eric told me I needed to get some of those, and it, it's really helped um, my worship experience. No. Here's the one thing. Remember. Worship is a time set apart to remember what God has done. All right, so whether you're here in this building or whether you're at home, worship is a time set apart to remember what God has done. It is a time set apart, right? So uh, I appreciate Nathan for that reminder, and I, I also want to clarify that I never told him to get voice lessons. <laughs> I hope that's obvious to everyone. He sings like an angel. All right, so we don't watch worship. We engage. We schedule. We prepare, all right? Um, but we do watch what we worship, and this is especially important during a season like this one when we are so tempted to be distracted by everything else going on, right? So I wanna ask you what it is you spend your time watching. Where do you divert your eyes? What gets the majority of your attention? What do you look at first thing in the morning? I mean, um, Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew, chapter six, verses 22 and 23, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. It's like your eyes are a window, right? Are your eyes healthy during this season? What you're looking at, what you're watching, it's probably symptomatic of what you're actually worshiping. And so where are your eyes? Where is your heart? What arouses the affections within you? Is it something other than God? Is it money? Is, do you watch the, the Tao more than you watch your Bible? Do you, do you watch for um, validation from people uh, you know, that you're interested in? Validation from women, validation from men. Are you worried about raising kids that are uh, you know, smart enough to get into whatever school you think they should get into or have whatever profession you think they should have? Is that why you're raising these kids or are you raising them to know and follow Jesus? And what are you spending more attention on? Watch what you're watching during a time like this. It says a lot about what you're actually worshiping. And so whenever you learn to worship God, all of your affections are to, to, toward him, everything else falls into place in, in proper order as you remember all the things that God has done for you. Nothing will set your heart on fire as much as remembering all that he has done for you. All right, uh, here we go. The next two commandments, thou shalt not live in fear, okay? Thou shalt cut your media intake in half, at least in half. <laughs> I've talked a lot about fear throughout this uh, crisis season of uh, the Onion a satirical uh, news news site recently posted an article that really I thought uh, captured the issue well with uh, the the fear mongering that goes on in the media. It's an article uh, headline that said "Depraved Masochist Enjoys Watching the News." Uh, that is how I feel about the news so much of the time. I don't want to tell you to stop watching it altogether. I'm just saying that the news is like strong coffee, all right? In small doses, it can really wake you up. But there comes a point at which overconsumption will turn on you. It will become a problem for you and work against you. 
So uh, what I'm saying is whenever you watch the news, uh, do so in small doses and understand what you're watching, what you're being fed. If you lean to the left politically and all you watch is MSNBC, listen, I, it's okay, but listen, you need to know what they're doing to you. Like, they're not your buddy. They're not your friend. They're trying to do something to you. And as long as you recognize what that is, and as long as you turn it off in time before you're hypnotized, you'll be all right. And the same goes for those of you who are to the right of center and you watch Fox News. You just need to know they're not your buddy. They're trying to do something to you. <laughs> Understand what they're trying to do to you. Ask yourself, why would they try to do that to me? And then turn it off and, and go for a drive. Both groups go for a drive. The, MSNBC group in your Subaru, the Fox News group in your truck, and, and just breathe, go outside. And th this also applies to those of you highly educated elites who only get your news from NPR. They're trying to do something to you too, and, and the same goes for you angry young men who get all your news from Ben Shapiro. He's also trying to do something to you as well. You just need to know what that is and turn it off in time before you belong to them. Um, this is important that we understand uh, there is no such thing as the no-spin zone. Everything is fun in the news. Proverbs 15, 14 says, A wise man is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. I just encourage you to ask honestly, what are you feeding yourself? What are you feeding yourself in terms of what you're taking in, especially with media? Um, so I think uh, I want to say that we watch the news in small doses. We don't let them have our allegiances and also understand that every single word I just said also applies to social media and not just the news media. Commandment number five, thou shalt not wander aimlessly through this season. Thou shalt live intentionally. I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on this. It should be self-evident, but listen, a lot of us are letting chaos reign. The external Boundaries that used to be set for us by meetings at work and deadlines to meet, all that external boundaries, those are gone now. And so we have to figure out how to set our own boundaries. And many of us, two months into this struggle, still struggling to do that. Listen, God is a God of order. He brings order out of chaos. And if that's not happening for you now, it needs to happen in you. And this can be a great learning opportunity, a growth opportunity for some of us to grow mature in our faith by exercising self-control, right? Um, Self-denial by, by putting boundaries around ourselves. So set some boundaries, set a routine. Tell people you live with what your routine is so they can hold you accountable to it and strive to live according to that routine, even if it has to come from within you instead of outside of you. All right, that was pretty easy, right? That's the easiest one so far. Next, thou shalt not take relationships for granted. That's commandment number seven. And commandment number eight, thou shalt schedule a daily check-in with somebody you love. Schedule it. Don't just say, I'll get around to it. Schedule it, whether it's Zoom or social media or email, write a letter, whatever it takes. What I'm seeing right now is that a lot of us are letting our relationships fall through the cracks. We feel like our plates are full, managing the stress of trying to keep our businesses open or our, keep our jobs, you know, or stay healthy. And, and we're letting our closest relationships fall through the cracks. Marriages are falling apart right now before our eyes. Families are in turmoil and friendships are, are struggling. A lot of y'all have let your relationships that you had here at the story 
that brought you accountability and joy, your small groups, you've let those fall by the wayside because you just can't put up with Zoom. Check yourself. Check yourself there. Check your motives. Really ask yourself, is it that much to ask that you click a button instead of show up in a room, you know? And, and yeah, it's awkward. You're going to talk over each other and, and somebody's going to forget that their camera's on when they go to the bathroom or something. It's weird stuff happens on Zoom, but is it worth it to lose the connections that bring you joy and accountability? No. Sometimes the enemy whispers in our ear, it's not worth it to show up, to check in. We forget how much we need each other. Man, we need each other. This week, um, as uh, the Maybe God podcast got back in a groove of releasing an episode, a full episode for the first time in 10 months this week. If you don't know what the Maybe God podcast is, we started this as a ministry of the story two years ago. Myself and a small team of staff and volunteers here at the story, we want to tackle questions in a way that is um, easy to access for non-religious people. They don't have to show up at church. You don't have to invite them to church. Just send them a podcast link to Maybe God. So we've been doing this for two years. If you support the story financially, you're supporting Maybe God. So thank you. And we are reaching like 3,500 people per episode. 3,500 downloads per episode right now as we've been doing this for two years. Incredible. 40 countries around the world we have listeners. Unbelievable. With this episode that we released this week, all I did was I spent like two or three days cold calling some of our listeners that had emailed us over the past two years. And so random people were like, hey, thanks for the episode. Here's my contact info if you ever want to reach me. Or some of them didn't even leave us contact info. We just stalked them online until we found the right number. I called like 50 wrong numbers until I found the right one. It was a hilarious episode, but it was a real testament to how much we need each other because the things they said to me in those conversations were overwhelming. I talked to a guy named Clay who's in Dallas. He's a, a husband and a father in Dallas, and he's had quite a year. Clay told me that since the uh, 1st of January, he's lost a 17-year-old nephew to suicide. He and his wife lost a baby to um, miscarriage. He lost his job on top of everything else, and then this coronavirus. Six years ago, they buried a daughter. Like He's been through the ringer, and he still has this deep faith in God, and not even I really understand where that comes from. And, and so I asked Clay, where it comes from, and, and in the clip you're about to, to hear, he explains the sort of the source and the footing of his faith, what got him through those hard times. If you were to speak directly to people who during this crisis have gone through the crucible like you have, and they feel like they're at the end of their rope, you know, they've got a loved one who's sick or uh, they've lost their job. What do you say to them about where God is to be found in a crisis like this? Where do you find God in, in the darkness? We may not see it, but we're, he's still very, very much in control. I mean, there were, there were darker times in human history where he was still in control. I mean, look at the majority of the beginning of the 20th century. Look at World War II. Look at fill in the blank. So I would say that he's still there. And whether we may not feel or believe it, it's still true. Our feeling about it doesn't change who he is. Hmm. We just have to choose to find a way forward. And that is a, uh, an everyday thing that has to take place over and over again. Yeah. And we find the people that we love that will help us get there. And we look for the you know, great, beautiful things around us that are always taking place. And then soak those in with the belief that it will be put right, not 
tomorrow, not in a week. It might, but forever it will be set right. Amen. Amazing. I want to thank Clay for being so real with me. He didn't have to share any of that with us, but he did it anyway. And I, for one, needed to hear it. I imagine this is one of those interviews that I'm going to be coming back to again and again in the future. Whenever I'm in a dark place, just so Clay can remind me how, whether I feel it or not, God's love is still the same. My feelings don't change who he is. And one day, he's going to take everything that's wrong with this world, and he's going to make it right. All right. So that's the Baby God Podcast. I encourage you to share that with your friends. Check it out at babygodpod.com or any podcast platform. Listen, um, what I want to challenge you to do with this commandment, these two commandments, is to schedule one unexpected check-in every day this week with a different person. Like write an email that you wouldn't have otherwise written just to check in and say hi. Write a letter or call somebody. I mean, you can still make a phone call with your phone. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you can still do that. But check in with someone and be gentle, be careful, be kind. You never know the size of the burdens people are carrying at a time such as this. And whatever burden you're carrying, it will feel a lot lighter after you go out of your way to check in with somebody who loves you. All right, so the final two commandments today, uh, commandments nine and 10. Thou shalt not burn bridges with people to score political points. Thou shalt probably like wear a face mask at H-E-B or something. Okay, <laughs> I saved these for last in the hopes that half of you would have logged off uh, by now and not gotten to this part of the sermon. You would not believe how many people advised me not to urge my folks to wear a face mask. Apparently, People are going to get angry and leave the church over this. I hope not. I hope we'll see this for what it is, okay? So the whole face mask thing has become kind of a, a, a harbinger issue, kind of a, a big deal. Um, that The line in the sand, will you wear a mask or won't? What does that say about you? And, and I don't know why these little things kind of take over the whole discussion. I don't really understand it. I think it's because we're all so incredibly frustrated by the amounts of conflicting information that we get from all these different sources all the time. And, and we have to choose a side. And there's only two. There's no nuance. There's only two sides. And you have to choose based on all of this conflicting information from all these supposedly reliable <laughs> sources. I don't even know what to do with all of this. I am just as confused as you are. I don't know whether the government is trying to save my life or seize my freedoms. <laughs> I don't know which Dr. Fauci to believe, the one who said that face masks weren't that important in March or the one who says they should be mandatory now. I don't know. I don't know if Bill Gates is trying to inoculate me from COVID-19 or whether he's trying to put the mark of the beast in my head. I don't know. I don't know if the media really wants us to know about something that's very dangerous or if they want to scare us enough that we'll all stay home and watch the news because before this crisis, the only thing lower than a price of a barrel of oil was their ratings. I don't know. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's a little bit of both in all those situations. I don't know. I don't know, but here's what I do know. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. My number one goal in this life is to inspire as many other people as possible to follow him as well. And if I'm going to make disciples for Jesus, I have to make friends first. And let me tell you what happened to me the other day. At Whole Foods, I left my mask in my car 
absent-minded. I forgot, walking down the granola aisle, I thought they were gonna crucify me right there. Like the stairs, the hate, it was too much. I wasn't about to make any friends in that Whole Foods that day, much less any disciples for Jesus Christ. I was leaving them the opening to pass judgment on me, to see me as just one more white conservative Christian who says he's pro-life, but really doesn't care whether or not vulnerable people die. I, I was sending a message unintentionally so, but um, sending it nonetheless. I'll be honest, I, the reason I left the mask in my car, other than being absent-minded, I just hate wearing a face mask. I hate it. I wear glasses, it fogs them up. It's inconvenient, all this uncomfortable, whatever. Not sure on the science of it. I think it probably saved lives, but, but I just, it's, it's tough for me to, and I'll tell you why, really. The, the real truth is I hate it because I'm a Texan. <laughs> and Texans will do the right thing until the government tells them to. And it, <laughs> at that point, all bets are off. We'll wear our seatbelts until it's the law. And then it's just like... Ah, freedom, you know, that kind of thing. And I know we're stubborn people. Just look at all of our slogans. Don't mess with Texas, you know, come and take it and all this stuff. And, and I get it. The government has, has overreached in the past. And so we're, we're all like, remember the Alamo about this face mask thing. Um, I know that it can be tough, um, but as Christians, it's as simple, or it should be as simple as this. If we're here to make disciples of Jesus, we have to make friends first. We have to send a message that we care, send a message that we love people, that we're concerned about what they're concerned about. And to be clear, I actually do believe that wearing a face mask probably does save lives. This shelter-in-place business probably has saved some lives, and that probably should be reason enough for us to, in some ways, to flex with the culture around us. But even if you're not sure about that, even if you don't trust the government at all, even if you think it's all a conspiracy theory to control us and, and to power grab and all that, I am sympathetic to you. I understand that happens. Those kinds of things are real. But I'm saying sometimes we flex anyway because flexing with the culture, in addition to some health benefits, it also affords you the opportunity of maintaining your integrity before the eyes of those who don't believe so that maybe one day you can speak love and life and Jesus into their hearts in a way that you wouldn't be able to if they saw you as contrarian or uncaring. When this crisis is behind us, I do believe that Christianity will look vastly different. If we cling to the past and hold on to the way things were, we might get what we want in the short term. But if we embrace this present moment and let God revolutionize his church, we might get what he wants, which is going to be so much better than anything we want. He is on the move through this. We are reaching more people by far every week with this new model of church that we're experimenting with than we ever reached when we were primarily meeting in person. There is something new happening, new inroads being made into parts of our culture where the gospel was not two months ago. Things are happening, good things are happening, and you're here, we are here as a church to follow Jesus through this and see what he wants to do with us. Something powerful and wonderful is happening, and so in light of all of this and these 10 commandments, I just wanna ask you a couple of very simple questions. How are you sharing the gospel with the life you're living? How is your life 
inspiring people, especially non-religious people to follow Jesus? And how are you in the way that you interact with people online and in person? How are you embodying the beauty and grace of Jesus and his message? How are you leaving open the channels of communication with those with whom you disagree? How are you becoming a friend to those on the outside looking in instead of an adversary for the purpose of loving them where they are, shining the light of Jesus into their heart? How are you, how are we letting Jesus use us today? Friends, whenever you're faced with a choice to make a point or make a friend, make a friend. And you're faced with the choice to prove yourself right or to be righteous in the eyes of others. Be righteous. And you're faced with a choice to cling to the past with all you've got or to embrace this present moment and trust Jesus in it. Embrace this moment. Jesus is about to do a new thing. And I'm excited to be alive at a time such as this. He's doing a new thing in the church, but he's doing a new thing in your house. You are now the pastor of your house church. And we're going to do everything we can to equip you and prepare you for this. But you have a church now. You're responsible for it. Lead it with courage and conviction. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this new calling. Thank you for letting us experience this new breath, this new spirit at work in our midst. It is a, it is a, a devastating time to be alive in some ways, but an exciting time in some others as we are being shaken loose of our old ways, shaken free from some of the things that have bound us, God. And we confess we are stubborn to no end. But we thank you for being patient, Lord. We thank you for using us advance your message and your mission. We pray that every eye would be open to the vastness of your love and every heart would be open to receive it. God, wherever we can be your church, call us out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.